Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is streamlining the beverage supply chain with my friend Matt Zimmer. Matt is the president of a company called Zengistics, and they are a full-service logistics solution. And they have the motto, we are a technology company that specializes in executing freight, and they truly are that. I was very impressed with the way they're using their technology, especially in the beverage supply chain, to move way upstream of transportation. Matt comes from a supply chain background, and you can really tell because he doesn't think like the average transportation company or freight brokerage. And I think the way they're doing business is a model for the future. So check out my interview with Matt Zimmer. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Port X Logistics. Port X Logistics is an asset-based transportation company, and they specialize in containerized freight. So if you're having trouble moving your cargo out of the port, very common problem, then reach out to my friends over at PortX Logistics, and their website is portxlogistics.com. They're experienced, and they offer service at every single port and every single rail ramp in the United States and Canada. They have a, an approach that is guided by their four pillars, which is culture, service, tech, and trucks. Again, check them out over at portxlogistics.com. So how's it going, Matt Zimmer? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. I'm excited to talk about this topic. I have not talked to anyone specifically about beverage, alcoholic or other. So I'm excited to have this. I know we'll get into some other topics, but Matt, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. My name is Matt Zimmer. I'm the president of Zingistics. Uh, we're based out of Austin, Texas. Been here now for about four years. Best way I to describe myself is I'm a non-freight guy running a freight organization. Even though I think we we kind of classify ourselves a little bit different today than a freight organization, we're really a tech-driven uh, 3PL. We do move freight for sure, but I'm a big global supply chain guy and believe there's a lot of overlap between how supply chains are built and how the freight is. And that's kind of what drew me a little bit into the business and to be in here. Yeah, so you said Zengistics, right? Please spell that for people who don't know about Zengistics. Sure, Z-E-N-G-I-S-T-I-C-S, Zengistics. Yep, and so with the idea of you will be Zen if you're working with these guys. So you want your logistics to be Zen, then you call Zengistics. So now I know Zengistics is one of those fast-growing freight brokerages. Not there's a lot of smaller freight brokerages. You guys have grown really quick, and I, I, you there was a little bit on my radar. How old is Zengistics? We're coming up on. I mean, older than a lot of people think. We're about seven years. The business has been around. Originally, we were owned inside of the Turvo organization, and that's. Uh, the start of it was really a proof of concept around that technology. Uh, then it grew into a a rather large. A formidable player. Absolutely. But but a lot of really kind of around, I would say a little bit of a pivot more into the traditional brokerage side of it. And, and me coming into the business was a, a push back into the technology side of it, marrying um, together on both sides. But around seven years, but a couple years ago in July of 2021, we were acquired by Trimac, which is a multi-billion, which is a billion dollar trucking asset company based out of Calgary. And they're specialized in oil and gas. So although completely separate, you know, 
entity inside of that organization. We're kind of a non-asset 3PL owned inside of actually a billion dollar asset now. And I think there's some uh, some overlap there that we've been able to go really work on that I think is intriguing to a lot of different players. And so everybody I talk to, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people who are in freight brokerage or 3PL or in this business will say, you know, technology is in our DNA, but that is literally true um, from company DNA is literally true because Turbo is one of the newer collaborative logistics platforms. I know some people would say a TMS, whatever you want to call Turbo, it is one of the newer technologies. And I would say I've seen the demo. They've been on my podcast many times. That is one of the better technologies out there. And and there's there's the what I'll call the existing players, the big players that are maybe 20, 30, 40 years old. And I'm sure they're upgrading, but they are not where Turbo's at right now. And that's so you guys really are tech centric, which I love. Yeah, as we say, we were literally born out of tech. We were <laughs> we, we 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 were literally started to go drive the tech side of it. And and it's a blend of both, right? You absolutely need to be able to execute and operate as traditional 3PL broker is inside of some of the relationships, but the technology side is important and Turbo's great at it. They're also great at the way that APIs other software in. We, we have about 20, 25 softwares API'd inside of that totally seamless. And we push greatly on, on the reduction of headcount to make sure that we drive the most efficient process because A, our account management side is never automated. We believe in relationship building world-class business partnerships, but the entire back end of it, we try to drive as much technology, A, because we think it's important, but more importantly, we don't believe that shippers and customers should be paying for a lot of inefficiencies inside of business. And that's actually a very important sales aspect of how we operate. Yep. So where are you guys located? We're down in Austin, Texas. We do have a legal business entity up in Canada as well. So we actually, through the TriMac acquisition, have a brokerage in Canada and some people kind of sparsed around the United States and other, but headquartered here in Austin. Do we all have to move to Texas or Georgia? I swear to God, everybody's in Texas and Georgia these days. I'm just, it just keeps going. I hear so many nice things about Austin. I was supposed to be there for a football game. I mean, sorry, supposed to be there for a wedding last year. And it was on the same day as Michigan, Michigan State. Okay. I got season tickets. I'm like, come on, guys. Should know better. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I think you're a Michigan guy, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. So we, we can we can take that offline. So I'm a I'm a diehard buckeye. I've had more buckeyes on my podcast than Wolverines. For some reason, Wolverines just aren't on my podcast. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights. I know I've looked at your LinkedIn. You've been you've been there, done that, got the hat. Give us some career highlights before you join Zengistics. Sure. So born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. My, my, my first real kind of business career inside, I had a couple of jobs, but Pinnacle Data Systems, which Wait, was- Where'd you go to school? Did you go- I actually tried to go to Ohio State. I was a little rambunctious at that age, and so I didn't. I didn't quite get through many years at Ohio State. I actually graduated from a local business school in Columbus called Franklin University with a, with a bachelor's and an MBA from Franklin. But yeah, so born and raised in Columbus, and then uh, worked for a really progressive technology company in supply chain. Uh, we, we built customized networks and and pieces of equipment for some of the biggest OEMs in the entire world. And so that that's really kind of what my background is. I'm really cut around technology supply chain, uh, computer hardware mostly. And 
was part of that organization, ran procurement, had an opportunity early in my career to, uh, we acquired a company out in Los Angeles, California. So in my mid to late 20s, I was able to go out and run that company. And that was highly successful in terms of uh, what that was. So lived out there, brought me back to Columbus, and then really kind of my global business, I went to Flextronics wow. in 2009 as a general manager, moved out to San Jose, California, and had an incredible career at Flextronics over the next four years. Um, moved to Toronto and ran a very large solar manufacturing plant, was promoted to vice president side of that organization, and ran just some of the largest offerings that we were putting out at the time, working with some of the best technology brands in the entire world. So you were a customer. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So global 24 seven, um, the whole world. But again, th- that, that whole drive, that speed of the business, um, having to go build incredible process around incredible supply chain is what Flex did incredibly well. Then came down to Austin for a kind of in-between job that I don't speak to too much, kind of the wrong industry, the wrong fit. And then I was at Flash Global, which was a Ford Logistics 3PL that really catered to the high-end technology space. Uh, We had 700 locations in 110 countries, mostly Ford stocking. Um, I was COO of that organization, rapidly growing, working with some of the best, literally the best brands in the entire world. And Flash was... uh, an incredible organization to go work for. But it always comes back to supply chain, global, how are you really building out? And what I found in all of those businesses is they all link to me because I was really good at being able to connect with the customer. Even though I consider myself an operator by heart, I'm not a sales guy by any means, but I've always been good on on working with customers because at the end of the day, it's really the it's really a solution that you're selling and customers is what they're buying. And they also want to know who's the person responsible to actually deliver on it, not the sales guys on the next one. So I've always just been fascinated by the supply chain, how customers think about it and how to kind of win inside right. of that space. So when and why did you join Zengistics? Yeah, it's, it was it was a tough call because I didn't know freight at all. What I did know is I believe that Turvo was an incredible platform and I was really intrigued intrigued by Turvo. But what I also saw inside of the 3PL freight brokerage world was it was a lot of it was just very transactional. And there was all this this dichotomy now that people are talking about all the time. There's all the private equity money coming in. It's like it's a very antiquated industry, but it's also being propped up by a lot of money. And, And people are out there really aggressively trying to go change on how they think about the market to how this industry will be in in years from now. And I kind of take a look back at, you know, 20 years ago, there was a travel agency in every strip mall around the world. There were, they were brokers and technology was able to come in and disrupt that industry. 15 years ago, guys running around wall street with paper in their hands and literally two phones, like the traditional two phones, the ear and technology moved that. And honestly speaking, freight brokerage is the next prime one that's kind of moving through this. We're still in the infancy of it, but it's moving through there. So working around a really good technology turbo, around an industry that's really trying to go pivot and try to move forward from a technology standpoint. And I think there's a lot of customers in this space that a lot of it's just transactional. And how do you build relationships and how do you build world-class supply chains that help the customers, not just only on the freight line of the PL, but also generate revenue, SG&A savings and so forth. It just seemed like something I wanted to go dive into and go take a stab at. And I've had an unbelievable learning curve around what freight is, for sure. I think I've been successful in other pieces of it. 
but I'm able to learn. And that's also an important piece of why I came here is I'm looking for new opportunities and, and areas that keep my noggin thinking through and how to learn new things. And I've done that every day here. Yeah. Before we hit record, we were talking about these. Both of us came from the supply chain side. And one of the things, my one of my observations was when I left automotive and you had, I'm sure probably the same, maybe epiphany when you got into the freight side and the logistics side was there was a lot of money spent on technology and there was a lot of sophistication in supply chain that didn't seem to translate into the logistics part of it. So it felt like when I got into logistics, it was like, by the way, I was very intrigued with the transportation management system that the company I was going to. I love that. I thought this revolutionary and that was 10 years ago. But I was also kind of blown away by like, feels like this is not a mature market yet. There's a, there's, there's 20,000 freight, bro- by the way, I've heard people say 15,000, you said 15,000 freight brokers. I've heard people say 20,000. I've heard people say 22,000. There's a lot of freight brokers out there. And yeah, there are. it's one of those things when capacity gets tight and you can't get a truck from your regular guy, you call that freight broker. And if he doesn't work out. So during times like COVID, they all pop up, right? <laughs> like mushrooms. After a rain. And I've heard some people say, well, they're here to stay. But I, I my own feeling is we're going to have fewer freight brokers out there at some point. And the ones that are sticking around are going to have great tech, but they're also going to have the relationship piece that you described also. And I, I'm not just saying this to be nice, but they're also going to have operators who are from a place that's different than I have a whole bunch of guys who make 100 phone calls a day and 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 we have carriers that we work with. They're going to be more uh, you know tech and visionary than that. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think I don't know the right number in 10 years from now from the number of freight brokers there are, but I mean obviously the big guys out there are tremendous at what they do. Although our business is different, I think we're kind of more of I consider us more of a niche player. I admire what the what the large guys are doing and just the amount of scale that they can build year after year is incredible. And there's going to be people are going to have a hard time competing with that. And I actually think the number of brokerages will shrink tremendously over the next 10 years, both from just people just not being able to compete and go out of business. I also think that acquisitions will just continue right. to keep rolling through and just people just rolling up into these mega conglomerates, which will just keep happening through inside the industry. I also think like a company like yours that is really good at technology, and it's not just it's not just Turbo at this point, you keep adding on other, we'll, we'll come back to the whole idea of how a transportation management system or a collaborative logistics platform should work. But I think as you keep reducing the cost of each transaction using technology, there's still companies out there that are saying, yeah, we use tech, but they aren't using it as a, they're using it in a very basic way. They aren't using it. There's a difference between, yeah, I got a TMS versus our whole business is run through it. And we keep lowering the cost per transaction because I do feel like one day we're going to wake up and go, I can't live on the, that transaction. I can't live on the margin anymore where you guys are like, we're fine with that because we're, we're maximizing tech. Yeah. And it's really a strategy. I mean, it's something you have to believe in and the organization has to believe in as well. I mean, where we have struggled, I'm not going to lie, and I think other people do, is in able to drive more tech, people are out on the floor saying, well, hold on a second, that's my job. Like, what's going to happen to me? And we've had to change the narrative a little bit. And I'm not going to lie and say that people's jobs haven't been affected by tech. 
But where we've also worked is the people who are really good at understanding where technology can be enabled. If I have someone who can walk into my office and say, I found a couple other technologies that we can bolt onto Turbo, for example, that can go literally put myself out of a job and they can think like that, then why would I not want them somewhere right. else in our business to go keep looking through there? And so there is actually reward and recognition and promotion for people who think like that. But how we think about, it, as I said, the account management side is one that we believe in rock solid, incredible relationships face to face. We get out in front of our customers often. But how I look at it, and that's just probably my supply chain background and probably my you know coming out of really efficient organizations, is that there's no point if I can do it automation, I should do it automate uh, automation, and I should push that as hard as I can. And you and we come into a problem to say, okay, the job, it, the goal is that this this sort of work will be one hundred percent automated within six months. It's not that let's try to use technology and see if we get better than we are today. I think that's kind of right. like the thing that people run into. You have to come in with the premise that we're, we're going to be perfect at this over time, and we're going to go build around this. And what does that look like? How are people? Uh, bought into that? How are they brought into that? How are they rewarded for helping us get around there? But that's how we think about each layer of our, our technology. And so when you think about our carrier side to our track and trace to our ARAP side of it, there's very, very few people in the inside the organization for, for the amount of transactions that we're doing because we spent all of that time really kind of building through how the tech layer comes together. And the people who help us think through that are also rewarded inside of our business versus, so we have people in our business that aren't here to just to do the tactical task of the job. They're here because they believe in the strategy and where the company is moving forward. So it's just a completely different skill set that we hire for today than what we did even two years ago. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I'm going to talk about this for just a minute, I want your two cents on it is 20 years ago, if you had a transportation management system, you were probably way ahead of the curve and you're probably a very large company. And you expected that transportation management system or that collaborative logistics platform, whatever you wanted to call it, you expected it to do everything. It had seven or eight functions and it had to do all of them. And the, the way Turvo was built, and I know this because I've interviewed them multiple times, including Jeff D'Angelo, is they said, we're going to build a framework that, and we can do that. We can act as your, we can we do a really good job on all these, but we're going to let other tech plug into this really quickly without a whole bunch of integration costs. And by the way, anyone who hasn't been through that integration discussion where they say, yeah, we'll connect your TMS to our ERP. It'll take a minute because we got to <laughs> get a guy and that guy's not available for 10 weeks. And then when we do get him, it's going to probably take a month and it's going to be about 20 grand. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a sec, wait a sec. And now when you talk to someone like you and you say, yeah, we'll connect you to whatever with an API yep. this week, next week, not, not six months. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, and it's also the fascinating thing about the freight space is the softwares are so niche. And I mean, like RMIS is great around just, you know, insurance and compliance. What is RMS? RMS, it's what we use for all of our insurance verification. And so you used to have to go scrub through. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Carrier's insurance, now it's automated every night it scrubs. And if there was an accident, it self-reports it. If their insurance laps, it puts them on hold. There's technology for AR, AP, there's you know the OCR just reading it. So like there are very specific pieces. And so when I say we have They're, 20 plus I call them pieces, killer apps. Absolutely. Yeah, so we have 20 plus applications tied in 
API into Turbo, they're doing very, very small specific functions. But I would much rather go find something that is great at something and having 20 of them than three right. things that are just really good at stuff. And right. so we're always out looking exactly the killer app. And so I, I spend so much time with new technology freight technology founders on what is their application. And even if it just has the smallest fit to E, it's a single button that I push at API seamlessly into the business. The, the, the fees are usually pretty cheap. And now you're rolling a technology that's really impressive. And so- right. And we've, we've seen that, I mean, really ramped up with the ELDs because we all of a sudden had visibility tools like Project 44 or Forkites, et cetera. But recently, I've, I've, Green Screens is one of my sponsors. Green Screens creates this dynamic pricing tool. And by the way, the, you know, we talked about 20,000 freight brokers, probably a couple hundred are using dynamic pricing. I think that's something that's going to be the, we'll call the next killer app after visibility. I think you're seeing... I know it's still relatively new for some people, but Tomorrow IO is one of my sponsors. They do weather and climate app. And as a truck's going across the country, they hit all these different weather systems. I want you, you're from you're from the Midwest, so you understand weather, right? <laughs> and I think we're gonna see a lot of companies like that have, have we want that weather app that can drop look at that route. But you mentioned insurances. You mentioned you said 20 some that are connected. And again, I think that these and this is why we're calling it a collaborative logistics platform, is because if you say, I really need this, this, and this, you're like, you talk to Matt and his team, they'll go, cool, we'll plug that in right now. Whatever you need, we plug you in. And it's not going to be some painful integration uh, with a big bill at the end. No, absolutely. And I mean, I could say there's some things that Turbo isn't ready to API into. So we have middleware partners that can transmit data or, you know, scrape it from one application to another. But yeah, the whole point of it is, is it's got to be seamless to your customer it is and, and seamless to the back end of the supply chain. And so the carriers that want to engage in the tech, not all do, but the ones that do, it's seamless. But for our customers, especially, it is how do you go figure out how there's just no touch on the front end of it? And it's actually when we talk about the managed services side is for a lot of our customers, they don't even do planning anymore. We actually take a actual master production schedule, a 30 day schedule of just when do they need to deliver product to their end use customer or their distributor distribution arm. And we build every truck, how we consolidate it, how we route optimize it. And so we actually have removed the planning function for them because we've been able to show them that there's just efficiencies built on both ends of the supply chain. I love it. I love it. You know, there's the, I, I've said this when I was selling logistics service, I always say we become an extension of your supply chain. And I think a lot of people say that, but what you just described is that it is, and you can't do it if it, you're in a transactional model. You can't do it if, hey, you got a bid on every every lane. Oh, if you didn't win that lane, you're like, well, I can't do your damn planning if I don't know if I'm only getting every other lane, right? Yeah. You get again. I said it before we hit record, but I say it all the time on my podcast. We aren't dating. We aren't engaged. We are married. You were stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. And, and that's the relationship we have with a lot of our, our different customers. A lot of people go in to move freight. A lot of our, the, the reason I gravitate to a lot of the customers that we have is their private equity, their growing brands. And how I think about it is the extension of the business is we're here to help grow their enterprise value, which means, yeah, I care about their freight moving and I, and we got to be great at what we do, 
but I also care on how are we helping them generate revenue? How are we using data to make better decisions on their next product release or anything else? And so we're spending time really in there. And what I found is on the carrier side, if you're really just hell bent on making sure that you can grow your carriers and they know that you're there to take care of them and grow their business, they support you on the customer side as well. I say this all the time. It's, you know, in my old company, when I was at Flash Global, we competed against, you know, IBM and NCR. And someone would say, hey, you know what? You never get fired for, never get fired for picking right. IBM, right? right. And it's like, yeah, but you're probably also not going to show up in the C-suite either if you, by picking them either. So if you want to go make bold moves and, and do, do the right research to make the right business decision, but that's what we do inside of our customers is we make our contacts and customers really successful because we do more than just move freight. We are literally spending every waking second making sure that their their product, their brand, their reputation is taken care of. And I think people who work with us feel that tremendously. And not saying that's unique in the business, but I don't know a lot of enough people that are really thinking that way across the, the, the transaction. Right. Well, the, I, I talk to a lot of people, obviously, on my podcast, and there are a lot of people who are tech-centric, who are doing a good job. And obviously, there's the old operators who are you know adopting tech. But there's a lot of different mindsets and there's a lot of companies that are very comfortable with just transactional business. I've never felt good about that. I'm, I come from the supply chain side and in the supply chain, you don't have transactional partners. It's almost like, well, what do you, what, how, how do we do any of this? We're doing production here. We're building stuff. We can't have somebody who's works with me some days and not other days. Like we're, we're going to war, man. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions is a nearshore, offshore service provider, and they provide a range of services, including staffing, technology, marketing, sales, and business process outsourcing. They work with over 500 U.S. transportation and logistics companies. And what they have is this model where they have satellite offices down in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. And their, their approach is real, low cost, low risk, low hassle. They have 9,000 employees now. They're one of the fastest growing companies in America. And again, everybody I know seems to be working with them. But if you're not working with them, check them out. Lean Group, L-E-A-N group.com. And by the way, my podcast is edited by someone from Lean Lean Solutions Group. They're a fantastic company. I just did an interview with Ryan Mann. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Check them out. So let's switch gears. And today's topic is streamlining the beverage supply chain. So I know that is one of your areas of specialization. We're talking about beverages. What what does that encompass? Yeah, to, to us, I mean, beverages, we have water, uh, water manufacturers, beer, hard alcohol or hard kombucha, ready to drink like cocktails in a can. We have wine, we have liquor. I'm coming to your company party. Absolutely. Oh, (laughs) and I'll tell you what, we have good company parties. Our our customers are, again, these guys are great about brand. And so shipping us a pallet of beer for our next party, they they actually are get excited about it. So yeah, our parties are actually pretty good around uh, supporting our customers. So, so we're, we're across a, a wide range of, of people in the beverage space, both in the United States and in Canada as well. But to us, it's, it's don't get me wrong, we work with a bunch of industrial, medical, food, 
a lot of grocery. Now we've, we, 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 we're trying to figure out before we hit record what yeah. area we wanted to focus on. I know we could focus on some others. The beverage, no doubt about it, is a massive area that we have built some special you know, specialization in. And I think we do it really well. And I think more importantly, we have, we talk of vernacular to nomenclature that they understand inside of the beverage world, which I think was really important as we built this out. And I think there's certain, certain freight that we move that the bar is higher. And sometimes it's because of federal regulations, right? Sometimes it's because the value, sometimes it's because it's perishable. When we're talking about alcohol, I got to think we're hitting against a whole bunch of that. I mean, I can't have I can't have this stuff getting real. I'm assuming you're moving it cold. Most of it is cold, yes. So you want to make sure it stays the right temperature. I can't get it too cold and break the bottles. I also can't get it so it's warmed up. I mean, there's a lot of challenges with alcohol. And then I got to think there's Fed regs. So talk about some of the challenges that you guys kind of deal with day to day that other other that other freight doesn't have. Sure. I mean, definitely the temp side of it. Other, other ones have temp, but obviously, you know, you are in can or in bottle. And so temperature does matter. The, the federal regulation regulation is probably the biggest one, right? So depending on what state you're in, every some oh, states every have, state has different laws. Oh, absolutely. And, and they have different, different permits that your carrier must have. And so, so how do you, again, back to the supply chain, how do you build a really robust network that understands this world and is going to partner with you on this world? It's like, you, you can't just go find some guy <laughs> tomorrow off of the, the DAP board to go move a lot of different things. You got to really build a supply chain. And again, a lot of our business, we're not running 1D2Z. We, we run 100% of a customer's business. So you are using consistent carriers that have been vetted through this process, but Virginia versus North Carolina have different oh my God, I licensing didn't and that. Permit, permit requirements through there. A lot of these brands, I'll go to the craft beer side of the business is these are not, I mean, these are large craft beer brands, but they're also not like multi-billion dollar companies that can all run one pick, one drop. And so one of our real expertise is in the reefer space and some of like very well-known craft beer guys, um, large, but they're still running one pick, three drops, one pick, four drops in three or four different states. What do you mean by, what do you mean by one pick, one drop? Explain for those who don't have to do that every yeah. day. So, you know, Southern California is a we have a really strong network coming out of Southern California. And so you have a customer that has 17 pallets rolling up to Oregon, six going up to Washington state, for example, you're doing a one pick, two drops. Okay. We're doing up to three or four states at a, at a time. Normally in the distribution world, it's usually one distributor per, sp- per space. But you can imagine, you know, coming through the heat of the summer and having to go open the back of the, the thing three different times to do that. How are you measuring temp? How is your how is your carrier on board with that? How are you making sure that the product doesn't get destroyed? And so that's a really important piece of how we think about it. And then, oh, by the way, those three or four states. Different laws. Based on what the market is, you may be wrapping this way one time and this way another because of how it is. And so the route optimization, the consolidation strategies are really, really important. I would say majority of our customers are not just show up and just load up an entire full truckload and go. Majority of our customers actually are doing multiple stops and figuring out how to consolidate a full truck, how to make sure the temperature is always correct, making sure how to optimize it. And then, oh, by the way, making sure that every distributor has their delivery on the date that they need it 
it, it takes a little bit of planning, a little bit of guidance. And I actually think that is where we're actually world-class. During COVID, we ran over 98% fill rates for our beer customers, where I know the competition was in the 70s. What is fill rate for those who don't deal with it day to day? Yeah. So the fill rate on most of the beverage guys is a metric kind of built between how full the truck is and your service service levels around that from an on-time pick and on-time delivery standpoint. And we actually have a customer, and I can openly say this because we've done a joint case study with them, Stone Brewing. We, we Inside of Stone Brewing, we've actually they had consolidation models of how many pounds could fit on a truck. And this model has been in place for years. And this model was in place by some of the largest logistics companies in the world were running this freight. And on two different occasions, we've had to rewrite the model because we were over 100, like 110. Well, if you're 110%, you, you come out of supply chain world, right. I come out of. The, the, the measurement's flawed, right? Right, right. But, but that measurement held in place for years and we were able to go beat it. Then we, then we recast it and was able to go beat it again. And so you can imagine these consolidation ratios, how many trucks were taking off the road. And what we find in a lot of our beverage customers when we get the data is we can consolidate their overall number of shipments through full truckload consolidation by on average 7 to 10%. So if you have 1,000 loads a year, you're taking 90 off the road already. And then through a rate per mile and cost savings through, our, through, through optimization, route efficiency, and everything else, we're able to save them more. And so it's a tremendous amount of movement inside of a freight spin to a customer. And to do that at world-class service levels, it's why we're good inside beverage. Are you normally moving the moving from the brewery to the distribution centers? And then you're not doing the last mile to the bars and stuff, right? No, no. Most almost exclusively either distribution to distribution, manufacturer or co-packer in some of our customers' cases to distributor. But it's an important side inside the beer space, for example, is We'll have a new beer or hard kombucha or player who comes in and says, hey, we're, we're now going to go to more states than we have been before. What distributors are you using? Do you know their appointment times? Do you know these distributors? Like we know these guys inside and out because we literally deliver every single day to all 50 states. So we know these people. So we're actually helping not only move the freight, we're also consulting with customers on who are the right distributors? Who, who should they be thinking about working with? Obviously, it's their choice. And then how do you go move that together? And then in many cases, coming out of Southern California, some of the smaller guys we can pull together to get on a full truckload. And so kind of, well, we, we have a couple of taglines. One is focus on your craft, which is oh, for every craft beer. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. For, for every dollar of earnings, where do you want to go put it? Hopefully, you want to put it back into your brand and marketing on your supply chain. We'll help you with your supply chain. And so that's an important piece of that side of it is really being able to go invest back into, the, you know, the, the, their brand, which is really important in how we think about customers. Yeah. And as you're moving, as you go upstream and help them build this load, that's a different, that's a different world that you, you're, you're doing work in the vast majority of freight brokers or 3PLs. That's not their, that's not their space, but also I didn't realize that state to state, there was different laws. So, so if you're going to two or three states, you have to be approved for each one of those states. And so you guys got to find carriers that are fairly specific for that customer. Yeah, it's more permitting than anything else, but you got to make sure you have the right permits, making sure that the carrier has the permit, making sure that if anything would ever happen where the carrier gets pulled over, they have the permit to actually transport alcohol. Uh, There's some pieces to it for sure. And then having a Canadian business entity, we're moving 
cross-border oh, as well. And, and, and how do you just build out all of that expertise? And more importantly, I mean, my, my main job, I mean, I always say this as the president of the company is just to make sure that from a liability standpoint, we were, we're all like financial is very important, but from a liability standpoint, making sure that we do the right thing as an employer. Yeah. When you're moving alcohol, you got to make sure that you are trusted by your uh, customer, that you know what you're doing. And, and I think we've been able to showcase that. By the way, when we talk about, you mentioned Southern California, Los Angeles, at last I looked, is the number one brewery town in America in terms of volume. We always think of like St. Louis or, or Milwaukee. And by the way, we mentioned craft beer. That has become so important. And I'm here in Michigan, which is always ranked in the top yeah. two or three craft beer places. We have founders. And what's interesting to me, and I paid attention to this for many years, is one of the keys to alcohol business is distribution. So when you look at a company, I think founders got bought. I forgot who they got bought by, but if you're the founder, and, and by the way, they were so well-loved and they still are. But as soon as you sell out, everyone's like, oh God darn, you shouldn't have done that. But it's become so, somewhat irresistible because you say, rather than just be with your own little distribution, how about if we use our distribution and bring you nationwide, then maybe even worldwide, you go, that's basically a 10X. I mean, it's it's night and day. So I get why these craft brewers who are like, we do it because we love it. We do it to serve our friends. And then one day you're like, you know what? <laughs> There's a lot of money we're leaving on the table. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's actually, I mean, one of the biggest risk profiles inside of our business, to be honest, is a lot of the brands that we have are growing so fast that they're great acquisition targets. They just have to take you with them. Well, yeah, but sometimes they get bought by someone bigger. And then there's the unknown. We've been fortunate enough in the last year or so that a couple of the people we've worked with have been acquired by a lot larger organizations. And we've been able to prove through data that our supply chains were were really strong and in many cases better. And we were able to go win then the acquirer's piece of business as well. But, But there's no doubt that inside of this space, their acquisitions are prime. They happen often. And when you get a brand that's absolutely on fire and proud to call a couple of them our customers, it's great to, to, it's great to have it. At the same time, you got to be really mindful about what that is and how that is. But really, that's how I look about it is, you know, our job is to help grow that enterprise value of that business. So hopefully one day, if they want, they can get acquired. If they want to go public, they can go public. And I think having a supply chain partner, but especially in freight that thinks that way is important. Because you and I talked about it before, like the freight spends are percentages, right? If you take a cost of goods sold from building a car or the world I come out of, it's 80%, 90% materials. And then the freight line is 5%. But if you're really focused on your customer's success and most customers that we have are for profit. So building enterprise value is, is, what, what everyone's here to go do, really tuning into that and thinking about that and having the discussions around that. And I know not a lot of freight brokers are having those discussions because when I have them, they're saying, no one else is talking to me about well, most this. people. You, 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 you find yourself, you can go, you can really go separate and you can actually go make a big impact on this business if you can have the right dialogue. We talk about so much more than freight. We actually don't talk about freight because freight runs really, really well. We actually don't even talk about it. We talk about New product launches. Hey, Matt, can you help me? If we build a cold box in this state, can you do a capital expenditure analysis on how much freight seasons I would have versus my CapEx number? That's the kind of work that I work on day in and day out with our customers. 
Yeah, that's by the way, I, I said it before we hit record. The vast majority of freight brokers, 3PLs, even trucking companies, when you say alcohol, they're like, nope, no, no thanks. Because it is, it does have some challenges. And again, stealing a truck of beer, like uh, smoking the bandit or something, <laughs> that's a big, that's quite a big deal, right? But I don't know, did they steal that beer? I, I'm getting, I was, I was only a kid when they did that. So, but it, it is a difficult business in a lot of ways. And so, what would you say to some of the two or three? things that make that more difficult day to day than say just moving drive drive in stuff yeah i mean i don't know if the actual movement of it is that much more common as we said before that there's definitely the temperature side and the regulatory side but if you have those kind of under control it kind of moves what sounds it sounds like it's t- for sure temperature, which is a big deal because because you can ruin beer by making it warm. Absolutely. And then you said that there's the permitting, but it sounds as if you guys are building loads for these guys. So it sounds like the the upstream part is yes. a challenge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's the that's to us, right? Taking over the planning aspect of it is kind of the one that we really try to position ourselves into. Just give us a rough master production schedule. Let us help you plan out your loads. And we can do that for for a lot of different reasons. One is we can ensure full truckload consolidation and we can optimize it better. And so when you own the planning 30 days in advance, you can come to the customer and say, oh, by the way, this week is a DOT blitz week. Let's not release your annual special release this week. Let's let's move it up into a different week because I don't think that you you know the, the time sensitivity of that product is not best suited for a week like this. And so you're able to go kind of walk through some of those. But there's no doubt it brings on more challenges the further you move up into the supply chain. And although we're talking about outbound freight, we actually do most of the in a lot of our inbound freight for our customers as well. And so it's really the extension of that. And so now you're bringing in raw materials you got to make sure you're bringing in the raw materials to to meet manufacturing timelines. And then you're also building all of the back end out, which is the revenue generation arm of being able to get the product out to distributorship. And so balancing all of those, speaking about inventory levels, helping them with inventory velocity metrics, which we help with so that there's complications or it's more complicated because we've made it really complicated because... We know how to do it, and a lot of other people don't know how to do it. So the, the more complicated it gets, actually, the better for us. It sounds to me, I mean, when we talk about we talked a little bit about the challenges, so we also talk about streamlining. The streamlining, the only, I shouldn't say the only way, but probably the best way to streamline is what you're doing with this load planning and looking at their production schedules and optimizing based on that. And I don't think the average... 3PL or broker can do that because they aren't doing that end of it. So when somebody says, can you optimize, can you streamline my supply chain? I'm like, no, because I'm not involved in that. I'm just, I pick it up when you call me. And so I like that you're moved upstream and you get, you got the tools and the expertise to do it. Yeah. I mean, and the analysis is really important. So we're shipping in mostly all 50 states on a daily basis. And so if you're running with customer A, we're able to show them, and one of the terms in the, in the beverage space is cost per case equivalent. Because on the back of the truck, it isn't all just cans. There's kegs and pony kegs and bottles and cans. So there's case equivalents is how, how, they, how they think about it. And so if I'm doing a three drop, 14 pallets going 1,700 miles, five more pallets going another 300 miles. There's an equation that we build around that. So we actually break it down by skew level. So you can actually get down by each beverage type. I got an IPA and I got a stout. I can look at my cost per case equivalent by 
state, by distributor, by product type, what it is coming out of one manufacturing location versus another. So this is how we help our customer. So some of our customers brew on both sides of the country. So we're helping customers make decisions on, you know, it's actually cheaper to go from Virginia to Denver than it is from San Diego to Denver many times of the year. And is it enough savings that they actually want to change their manufacturing process to brew the beer there to save on this? But that's what our job is to be able to give them the ROI based on where we think that is. And so with that level of analytics that we give to our customers, and and we don't just give it to them, we're, we're talking to them, we're talking with their marketing teams around that. That's where we start to really leverage earning or supply chain savings. It's, it's, Hey, why don't you move this product from this distributorship to this distributorship? Because to ship it here, you can save 14% and Oh, by the way, you're not going to hit the seasonality you would somewhere else. And, And so again, that's, it's complex when you're putting it all together but when you do, it's how we think about it. It's a value proposition that's it's hard to be replicated by a lot of others. Right. And I was just going to say, you're lucky they let you in, but you earned the right to be let in. So I, I'm thinking if you say, hey, I move, uh, I move a few loads for you every week. Uh, how about how about you share your production schedule with me? And you know, they're like, who are you? <laughs> right? And you also probably can't get it. So you are mostly managed trans. This doesn't lend itself to doing it transactional or spot or anything else. You have to, again, be joined at the hip on this deal. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this very openly. I mean, a lot of it works because our our customers really get it. Like m- most every customer that we have at one point a few years ago was transactional, had three or four brokers into it. We, we, we have just... And part of great relationships and great, you know, supply chains are also having cohorts on the other side who are really smart thinkers as well and way above it. And so, like, just I don't want to get too far off topic, but you shared a thing with me about this surveyor, and like 3% of the people out there were looking for technology as one of their main drivers. Most of our customers that you would interview would say that's probably their number one or two. Like, it's, and so we're, we actually are talking to people who have been through three or four freight brokers, they've done spot, they've done contract, they've done it all. And, they, and they're looking for something different and they're trying to go pioneer and architect something different. They just haven't found the right partner to come into it as well. And so as much as I can say that we've brought something unique to the table that I think customers get excited about, you also need a customer on the other end of it who is also open to think about it differently. And that doesn't happen. Like, I'm not gonna lie and say that we run for, thousands of beverage companies because we don't, because a lot of them do love the transactional piece of the business right. because that's what they're accustomed to. So, so you, you need, and any great supply chain, you need people on both ends of it to really kind of have a similar strategy. But what I found inside of, especially the private equity side of the beverage space, when there's a plenty of private equity money in beverage now, they're thinking about it in, in a different way than a lot of other people. And that's actually a world that we kind of, I think, do well in and gravitate to because we, we really speak the same nomenclature. Yeah, it, it reminds me, I had a boss who used to say, we're, we're looking for right thinking guys. We know how we do it. And we're looking for people who align to that. And that, and so if somebody says, this is the way we like to do it, and we're, we're on all transactions, you're like, go ahead. But it's not for us. It doesn't fit for us. Yeah. Every day, someone tells us that in the beverage space that we're not the, that's not what they're looking for. 
A lot of other people, though, do come out of the woodwork and say, well, hold on a second. I've actually have seen what you've done or heard what you've done. How do you explain that to us? And, and those are the ones we get really excited about. Yep, exactly. So let's wrap this bad boy up. I'm going to ask you, you can answer in any order you want, Matt Zimmer. So what's next for you? What's next for Zengistics? And then what's next for the, let's just say, freight brokerage in regards to what we talked about today? Any order you want. Sure. I'll stick with me. I mean, my commitments here is in just, I think we've built something unique. We've built a culture around this thing. This is, this is a, a drive upwards. Zingistics, the thing I love about being here at Zed and the thing I love about managing a great team here is that we have a lot of input in the organization. And so I've never believed that our, our core is that we're, we move freight or we're a broker. We can pivot tomorrow for a great idea or something else. And so we're always looking on what is, how do we build stickiness with customers in ways that are there? So whether that's M&A or through other pieces of it, we're always going to be very open about what is next for us. And I think that's really cool about Zengistics is, yes, there's a freight component to us. We don't really talk about freight that much. We talk about the tech side of it. And with that, there's a lot of different pieces of it. And then in the overall industry and freight brokerage, it's, I think as you said before, I think there's going to be continued drive down into the number of brokers. And I think what you're going to find is there's huge guys out there. They're really good at what they do and they're very admired brands. I, I look up to all of them, but there's a lot of niche side of this business that's coming in. Kind of like we talked about the software side of it. You, you can win in a niche software world. We can win in a niche business world. And again, we talk about beverage, but industrial, medical, but this managed services, transportation as a service entity that we have built, I think works. I think what you're going to find is there's going to be more and more 3PLs that get very specialized in areas and become great at what they do. And I think that's a really good thing for our, for the customers out there that need right. that. Uh, no, I totally agree with that. And I see, by the way, I've noticed this with the warehousing business. We're not, this is a little separate topic, but it's grown really rapid with e-commerce. But I think a lot of these companies said yes to all sorts of business in the beginning when they were small. And then as they grew, they realized, I can't, this is not a good fit for some of these smaller players that yes. I have. And then also, I, I have a bigger player that I can't serve them as well as somebody else. They're driving me crazy. And so it seems like customer fit all of a sudden became a real problem in that business. And it reminds me, I also will say when I was still selling logistics services, we, I was mostly LTL. There were customers that just had a different philosophy about LTL than we did. And it was that transactional. We never wanted that. I was like, I can't. It used to drive me crazy when I'd have one of my customers say, oh, well, we did a flatbed move. We just called the guys down the street for that. And I was like, I was like, I would have done that for free not to have my metrics screwed up. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and they're like, well, they, they did a good job. I'm like, yeah, you're just missing it, man. Like, I hate the idea that like, I, we have our 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 approach to doing things, and when people didn't comply, because we would always say we'd say start off saying, "Well, let's make sure all the inbound shippers are complying," and then we would we shared as much we talked as much as anything about compliance reports. If you can't get these guys to comply to the stated process, then we're never going to get where we want to get together. And yeah, the, the world's changing, and I love I love your model. So. I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, Matt Zimmer, people who are killing it. Who else should I interview on my podcast? Who do you recommend? I'll just give you, I'll give you one name. I can probably give you a phone. I would take Matt Webster. Matt Webster. What does he do? Head of supply chain at Juneshine. 
June Shine, what is that? <laughs> June Shine, they make a hard kombucha. I actually think they're the they're the market leader in our they make an incredible product and now they're making ready to drink cocktails in a can so vodka drinks tequila rum they have a really great supply chain they have an unbelievable culture and organization around you know different aspects of of health and they're really innovative in what they do and they're quick to pivot through and i think they understand the supply chain better than most I love it. I love it. So I don't know that I can explain what kombucha is, but it's some sort of fermented thing. I know my kids, I have to buy it when my kids visit. So I was like, I have a whole bunch of kombucha in my, and I like it. I drink it every once in a while, but I'm not so sure what I'm yeah. drinking. I, I'll say very openly, I'm not a kombucha fan. Their product though is tastes different than what I'm used my to most kombuchas. daughter is brewing hard kombucha. And I hope she doesn't blow up her place, but uh, she's brewing some of that. That sounds great. Yeah, I hope it does. So anyway, so let's wrap this bad boy up. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your uh, website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. And Matt, thank you so much. I really love what you guys are doing. And uh, I think it's a great niche. Yeah, I appreciate it, Joe. It's been great chatting with you. I love being able to connect with great supply chain minds and you definitely have that. So I appreciate the opportunity for having us on. Yep. One last thing before I forget, what conferences will we see you guys at? Yeah, probably the next one you'll see us at is we'll be at F3, Future of Freight Freight Waves up in Chattanooga in November. That's where I will be next. And so look forward to seeing some people there. Nice. Now, so that's, I screw this up every year. I'm going to, Freight Waves is going to kill me. That is the Future of Freight Festival, right? I think that's what the third F is. <laughs> the future of freight. Yeah. Okay. That yes. makes sense. So it's in Chattanooga in November? Yes, it is. That'll be nice. That'll be nice. So um, that'll be the next conference we'll see you at. But again, you anyone can reach out. I, I imagine three quarters of my audience is now in Austin, Texas anyway. So <laughs> I'm here. They can stop by. We go, we go grab a coffee down. or a drink. Yeah, you can just walk down the street. That's where they're at. Matt, thank you so much. I'm, I loved interviewing you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. And until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.